You're in the water loop. Waterloop is made possible in part by grants from Springpoint Partners and the Walton Family Foundation. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. Hi, this is Travis with Waterloop. Water conservation is very important to me, and I bet it is to all of you. That's why I use High Sierra shower heads in my house, and I'm so happy to have them as a supporter of this podcast. High Sierra carries the EPA WaterSense label for efficiency and uses 40% less water than conventional low-flow showerheads. 40%. The model I have uses just a gallon and a half per minute. And because of their unique nozzle design, it's patented. Nobody else has it. It maximizes efficiency of water and energy use, but doesn't sacrifice on performance. You still get a powerful shower. Use promo code LOOP20 for 20% off at HighSierraShowerHeads.com. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. The Waterloop podcast is sponsored by Flume. It's the perfect device for tracking your home's water use in real time on your smartphone. It's so easy to use. You just attach a small device to your water meter using a band, the same way you put a watch on your wrist. Then you connect to Wi-Fi, You download the app, and you're up and running. It's as simple as that. You don't need a plumber. You don't need to cut into any of your pipes or water lines. Very easy to set up. Then you can set water budgets, how much you want to use each day or week. It'll keep track of that. It'll tell you what's going on in your house with water use minute by minute. It'll send alerts to you if there's excessive water use or if it suspects a leak. In fact, when I installed Flume at my house, it told me almost right away about a leak. I was losing a gallon of water every six minutes. I'm honestly not sure when I would have found that without Flume. You can use promo code WATERLOOP for 10% off at flumewater.com. You're in the Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. I am delighted for this episode to be joined by a former colleague of mine. We worked together at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency for a little more than six years, I think. I'm with Jeff Peterson. He is also the author of a book, A New Coast, which I have here with me and we're going to talk a lot about today. But Jeff, it's really good to see you again. And it's great to talk to you, Travis. Uh, It's been too long since we worked at EPA and uh, I look forward to chatting today. Yeah, I I think maybe even the first time I met you was when uh, I was at the Chesapeake Bay program and we were working on the new executive, uh, the executive order came down for a new strategy for the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, and I think you were at uh, the Council on Environmental Quality, CEQ then. Um, and a lot of people pointed me to you, toward you, especially as it came to writing and crafting uh, a document, uh, that new strategy document, um, which was a... a uh, effort by a lot of different people, but um, and I think that your prowess for writing and, and policy is captured in this book here, A New Coast. Uh, of all the things you could have written a book about after leaving EPA, why did you choose this? Yeah, well, I left EPA, you know, in 2017, and it just happened that uh, when I left in September, um, we were looking at uh, three major hurricanes. Uh, Harvey, Irma, and Maria hitting um, just one, two, three, right 
right during that that uh, that fall of 2017, and those uh, had tremendous impact and really astonishing uh, scope and breadth of impact. Uh, and I knew from the work I had been doing at EPA that storms and and sea level rise in working together were a huge uh, risk to the coast, but uh, those three storms uh, working together really kind of got my attention and and I felt like, well, it's really important to think about what can be done, what the government can do, uh, state, local, but also federal government can do uh, to get better prepared for these storms and the rising sea level that's coming along behind them. Uh, and I put some ideas on paper and Island Press was uh, good enough to work with me to help pull it together as a book. And it came out in uh, uh, November of 2019. So, The thing I love about the book um, and that fits with this podcast is really the focus on solutions and, and a path forward and, and kind of what some recommendations are for improving resilience for our coast. Uh, but let's spend a little time first on that problem definition so we can set up those solutions. Um, talk, talk a little bit about climate change and, and its impact on coastal storms and rising seas. And what's that, what's that doing to the, to the U S coast? Right. So there's, there's two factors to kind of keep in mind as you look at this problem. One of course is, is the devil we know, which is coastal storms and climate change is affecting coastal storms. We're seeing more uh, intense coastal storms, including in the Atlantic basin. Uh, and there's more evidence that storms are producing more rainfall uh, than they did in the past on average. And they're intensifying more rapidly as they approach the coast. And that makes them harder to predict where exactly they're going to have landfall. So these storms are, uh, we've, we've always had them, but they're going to be worse thanks to climate change. But they are they can be devastatingly um harmful both to loss of human life, but also damage to property. Uh, we've seen huge impacts from 20, uh, over the last say roughly 40 years, there's uh, estimated trillion dollars of storm impacts in the US. Uh, Hurricane Harvey by itself was uh, uh, $125 billion uh, wow. damage. So those were, uh, really important impacts. And a lot of those damages are storm surge related. So mm -hmm. you add that to that sea level rise and, and you get a real one-two punch. Um, and in the future coming decades, that's going to make those losses uh, that we've seen get go even, even worse. Yeah. Well, since I left DC, uh, you know, I've, I've relocated to Wilmington, North Carolina, our state hockey team is the Carolina Hurricanes for a reason. Um, the past three hurricane seasons here, we've had uh, hurricanes hit. We had Florence in 2019. I'm sorry, in 2018. We had Dorian in 2019. And we had a, a little clipper, if you will, Isaias come through this past year. Uh, so I chose to live here by the coast. I knew what was going on, but I have seen firsthand the, the, that hurricane uh, just push on the East Coast for sure. How is 
the nation really unprepared for coastal storms and rising seas? So there's sort of two questions you have to ask there. One is, uh, are the programs that we have put in place to deal with particularly uh, coastal storm disasters and other related impacts, um, are they are they helping us or maybe are they, they actually causing some problems? And uh, it turns out that the two biggest programs in this area, the National Flood Insurance Program uh, and our disaster relief programs, uh, they do a lot of good, but they're also causing, uh, making it harder in some ways to be well prepared for coastal storm surge and related sea level rise impacts. Uh, in the case of the uh, flood insurance program, uh, by providing subsidized uh, federally available flood insurance for people who are living in coastal areas at risk, both of storm surge, but also in the future sea level rise, uh, we're really sending them the wrong message uh, that it's safe to live in these areas, uh, or they might conclude that because the government's supporting them in, in doing that. And we need to turn that message around. Um, and in the case of disaster relief programs, um, we have, a, as a country have been incredibly generous in responding when disasters happen and helping communities and individuals get back on their feet. Um, at the same time, we, we haven't invested enough in preparing for these disasters and making sure that we minimize the impacts uh, when disasters do happen. And we can do so much better by taking some of the money that we're investing in the after the storm relief costs and putting it more upfront into avoiding the damages and preparing for these risks in the first place. So if we could just fix those two existing programs, we would be much better prepared. In, in addition, we have other valuable programs like the Coastal Zone Management Program, the Coastal Barriers Resources Act, um, the National Estuaries Program, which you and I remember from EPA, uh, that are doing good things here, but most of them were designed and set up prior to a real understanding of what impact sea level rise was going to have on the coast. So they're not really organized to deal with sea level. Um, so we don't have uh, a good stable of programs designed to deal with the risks that we understand better today. Uh, and we need to update and amend and extend those programs. Hmm. Yeah. Every time you see a big a hurricane hit or one of these things, there's a, a pretty much Congress in quick form, right, authorizes, or maybe, I don't know if it's the federal government, they, they, they provide a lot of money, a, a big a big check right away goes out, uh, instead of maybe following that old adage of a, a, an ounce of prevention being worth more than a, a pound of cure. Um, another place this burden falls uh, are, is on states and municipalities and even the business community. Um, what are what are how do they struggle right now with these the the forces that are acting on our coast? Well, there's a lot of creative work going on um, in the states and in some local governments, uh, and even some businesses are are increasingly conscious of the 
the risk to physical assets on the coast. Um, some, I, I guess I could just mention a couple of states, I think, that have done a pretty good job of looking at the problem and beginning to kind of put together um, measures to be better prepared. California has done a pretty commendable effort. Um, over on the East Coast, a uh, state like uh, Maryland has actually done a pretty good job of understanding the risks and, and putting programs in place to be better prepared, uh, as have some other states. Uh, but not every state is moving along that track equally successfully, and some are, some are kind of lagging behind. Uh, and as a country, to be better prepared, we really need to bring all the states along. Um, and states need to be working with local governments and supporting their local governments in these efforts. Uh, and there are individual cases of, of local governments that have really grabbed a hold of problems, these problems, including sea level rise. Uh, communities like uh, Charleston have, have actually put good plans together and are are working with the federal government to explore what they can be doing uh, in terms of protection and, and other measures. So there are good news stories to tell, um, but there are also a lot of communities that are really not prepared and not even really understanding the risks that they're facing. And again, the job is, I think, to bring the whole country more along, um, not to have a few uh, outstanding success stories uh, seem like um, they're bringing the, a solution to the entire country when yeah. when they're when they're not yet. Yeah. Well, I know with Charleston. I mean, I've kind of followed the news lately where they're looking to build a a, a big seawall, even, uh, and you know, so they are being proactive. But boy, the investment that's required for that, and the work that's required, and uh, that's that's incredible. So the solution side, again, this is what I really like about your book, A New Coast, is that uh, after you comprehensively lay out the problems that are out there, uh, you make some solid, tangible, specific recommendations for ways to try to address some of this and, and you know, build a new coast, if you will. Um, so let's, let's start working through those. A, a framework for st uh, a national storm and sea level rise program. What would the parts of, of that look like? Yeah, so let me just give you the, the sort of high-level uh, tour of some of the key elements. Um, the first one is kind of an easy one. It's, it's just providing some better federal leadership. Um, we had some of that during the Obama administration, almost none during the Trump administration, but I think we can turn a new page now uh, with the Biden administration and, and expect that federal agencies should work together and have mechanisms to consult with the public about what we need to be doing uh, and how fast we need to be doing it uh, as we go forward uh, to build coastal flood resilience. Um, so that's one. Uh, the second is we need we need to take some new actions. Uh, one one area where I think there's a lot of promise is to improve the uh, the requirements for disclosure of flood and sea level rise risk when a property uh, along the coast is sold. So some states have requirements now. They vary. Some are better than others, uh, but a lot of states don't have anything. Uh, and a national requirement would be a huge step forward in terms of educating people about the risks. 
Uh, we also ought to be limiting development uh, in those coastal areas that are most immediately at risk of sea level rise and permanent inundation. So um, there's a lot of energy and uh, desire to build in these coastal areas, but putting property and new assets and infrastructure into areas that we know are going to be inundated uh, is really just not a good investment for for the private parties, but also for the communities who are going to get stuck with the problem of dealing with that when when the sea level rises. I was going to. So those uh, are a couple of new ideas. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to mention, you know, I've I've also been learning about in Norfolk and you know the the Hampton uh, Virginia Beach area how they're looking at you know managed retreat right from these areas that are going to be permanently inundated like stop developing there let's not reinvest let's pull back to higher ground and I mean it's that's a tough sell in some ways for a community but it's it's necessary in some situations right well I think really that that is the pressing most immediate problem that we're going to have to face and and the proposal that I've been uh, encouraging people to look at is that we need to support a state and local planning process hmm. that's able to review the options that are available. Um, so most people immediately think of, well, if I'm going to respond to the sea level rise, I, I should build a seawall. For instance, you mentioned that in the case of Charleston uh, as one option. Um, another option is to elevate buildings so that um, at least for something like storm surge, uh, as opposed to permanent sea level rise, you have some protection. But as you say, a, a third and in many ways, uh, both, both more effective but also more controversial approach is to step back from the risky areas and move to higher ground. Um, Working through those and really coming up with an understanding of what's at risk, including um, what people's personal risk is by staying in areas that aren't safe, even if there is supposed to be protection from a, a built structure or, or what a built structure as opposed to moving back to higher ground would cost and who's going to pay for that. And how do you treat uh, disadvantaged communities and minorities in the process so that they feel like they're uh, getting a fair deal. Uh, all of those questions need to be considered in a thoughtful planning process, and the federal government uh, can provide the funding and the technical support that's needed to do careful planning that allows all of these different options to be well thought out in each local case. Uh, I hope in, in a lot of cases, Communities would decide that their best long-term strategy is to is to relocate, but to, but to just start with well, the federal government says everybody has to move uh, is probably not the not the best strategy to get us uh, to a reasonable outcome that everyone's comfortable with. So, I think we do need to make an investment in supporting the state and local governments in, in dealing with these problems, and then not just paying for the plan, but actually delivering the money that will help implement that plan so it doesn't just sit on a shelf. Well, that's another big uh, chunk of your your solutions section here. And of course, it's about money, right? Uh, this is, as we've already mentioned uh, a couple of times, this is a lot of this is very expensive. Um, how, how do we go about then funding 
coastal storm and sea level rise preparedness? Well, there are a couple things to, to think about here. Um, one is that when you think about federal expenditures and, and what we put out annually in terms of the federal budget in a program like this, um, I think it's important to keep in mind that we're trying to make an investment that's going to save us money in the long run. And when we look at the costs of uh, the storms and driven more ultimately by higher sea levels, uh, we see that those costs are estimated by the Congressional Budget Office to be uh, as high as $20 billion annually. Uh, so an investment, even if it were several billion dollars or even as much as $10 billion uh, a year in better preparing the coast would uh, save the federal government money, not to mention save local communities and, and individuals living in coastal communities a lot of heartache, a lot of damages, a lot of rebuilding, if we could get a good plans in place and implement them. So I think really what we need to do is, is convince the Congress that this is a good investment to put money into dealing with this problem up front, rather than put twice or three times the amount of money into building it back several times over again in the context of disaster relief. Yeah. What you mentioned, it was like a trillion dollars over the past couple decades that have been spent on some of these coastal uh, disaster responses and, and rebuilding. So there you go. Uh, if you can cut down on that by by spending on on prevention and adapt, adaptation, that's, that's worthwhile. Uh, there's a couple other specifics that are kind of under the funding piece that I wanted to learn a little bit more about uh, that I'm not familiar with too much. Coastal hazards removal funding. What's What's that? Right, so um, when you look along the coast, you'll see um, some areas that are pretty well developed uh, right up to the high, high tide line uh, and are at a low elevation and are exposed to, um, to storms, but also to the sea level rise that we're gonna be seeing, which we're looking at you know anywhere in the nature of two to three feet by 2050 and three to six feet by 2100. Um, so those uh, properties are at risk of being abandoned uh, as the sea level rises. Um, they are served by water systems, they're served by electric power, uh, they're served by roads. It's gonna be increasingly hard to maintain those services as sea level rises. Uh, and ultimately, people will have to leave those houses. Uh, and as the water comes in, um, we really don't wanna leave um, infrastructure, including buildings, just standing in, in three feet of water. <laughs> we need to tear them down uh, and remove that. Uh, so that's basically a big decommissioning job. Uh, and that's going to be a big cost to the federal government, uh, pretty much any way you look at it. Yeah. I guess a related one. Uh, I'm curious about Coastal Property Price Stabilization Fund. Uh, I assume this is kind of about the way real estate on the coast and so forth is. What, what's going on there and, and what would be a good approach? Right. So there are somewhere in the nature of 2 million individual residential properties at risk in the, in the three to four foot sea level rise scenario. Um, and 
the individuals who own those properties have tremendous amount of money um, wrapped up. Their personal finances many times are are pretty much dependent on um, the value of their home. Uh, right now, we're already seeing declines in the value of coastal property uh, because the risks are becoming more and more evident. Hmm. Uh, and so people are at risk of either they're selling now and getting what they can get for their property, or they're holding on in the hopes that maybe um, maybe it won't be so bad, or maybe someone will come along and offer to buy the property later. Um, the federal government needs to provide a little bit of a buffer to not just the individual homeowners, but because communities rely on property taxes for many of these um, properties, uh, a loss of the property and its ability to pay property taxes is going to hurt the local community. So what we'd like to do and what, what I've been proposing is that the federal government get out front of this problem uh, instead of doing buyouts only after the storm has come and destroyed your property. We should do, be doing buyouts more proactively so that we purchase properties that we know are in the long term going to be at risk of inundation by sea level rise, but aren't at an immediate risk. Uh, it may be 30 or 40 years out, uh, but we can uh, buy the property now with debt financing from the federal government and have that property uh, stay on the books uh, as a lease back to the homeowner if they want to stay while it's still safe, or perhaps as, as uh, something that's available as a lease to another property personal property owner. And some of that money would be repaid. So it'd be like a revolving fund. Um, for instance, we have revolving funds for municipal sewage treatment plants, but this would be more for an individual property uh, and the government would be repaid and then loan that money out again to other properties that are further back, but as sea level rises will increasingly be at risk. Very, very interesting. Uh, I, I guess the last part of your book is where you really talk about the elements that need to come together to 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 launch this campaign for a new coast. Um, and I'm always curious about who needs to be involved to make something like this happen. You you call it the cast of key players. Who who needs to be on this? Yeah. So it's going to take a big kind of cooperative effort to convince Congress and state and local governments to really come uh, to grips with this problem. Um, I think there are a lot, of, a lot of people who have an important role to play. Uh, the academic community, for instance, uh, the Sea Grant program has tremendous uh, kind of capacity across the coast to help explain these issues and think through solutions. But also um, professionals in the business of uh, coastal development, everyone from lawyers to real estate agents to engineers to architects and planners. Uh, so that whole professional class, I think, has, has a critical role to play. Uh, and then environmental groups have been pretty active about advancing solutions. Uh, everyone from the Environmental Defense Fund to the Natural Resources Defense Council to Surfrider. I think are, are working on different parts of this issue. Um, and of course, there are some organizations working more specifically on sea level rise. Uh, and I think they have some good ideas that uh, need to be considered. So 
there are a lot of different important players um, in addition to just governments and, and the private sector. Yeah, yeah. Um, two other pieces in the in the campaign that jumped out at me too is this phrase, a positive vision. Um, what, what's meant by that? Well, you know, when you when you look at this problem, it's easy to kind of focus on the um, the actuarial side. Well, there's so many lo- dollars of losses, or even so many lives that are lost to storms every year. Um, but it's harder to think about. Well, um, what is our coast uh, after we have some serious sea level rise? What is it going to look like, and how can we? imagine designing a new coast that represents our values. And um, so we would want to think about how to have uh, communities that are still connected to the coast, but are safer than they are today. Uh, No one wants to live where they have a risk of their home being washed out uh, in the next big storm. So I think we can have safer communities, but we can also have uh, communities where Ecosystems are better protected, uh, wetlands and uh, marshes and beaches. Uh, we need to do more to make sure those systems are safe and functional and sustained as a result of sea level rise. Uh, so we also need to think about um, disadvantaged communities and how to make sure that not just we don't have solutions that just work for the the wealthier people in a community, but work for everyone. Um, so things like making sure that a, a new coast has amenities like better access to uh, the coast than maybe we've had in the past are all possibilities that uh, can, I think, encourage everyone to think about, well, this isn't just all bad news. Um, there are some good news things that can happen as this transition is forced on us, that can actually work to our benefit if we start now to uh, think through how to make that happen. A lot of positive opportunities, right? Uh, and then the last one, uh, citizen action. You know, this is a this is a, a big project. <laughs> this is a big task. You mentioned a lot of the the uh, in addition to government. You know. The nonprofit community and the business community and all these and uh, you know experts in environmental planning all need to be part of this. What, why is there need to be citizen action and what role is there for citizens in transforming our coast? Well, I think citizens really are a critical part of the equation, and we're not going to get a successful transition to a new coast without citizens who who love the coast and who live along the coast taking a really active and informed role. So really the first thing citizens can do is educate themselves about, well, what is the sea level rise risk and what is it in my community? Because it's not the same everywhere. It does vary along the coast. Um, and, and, then, and then work within your community to help others become better educated. And, and also to think about, well, what could we do as a community But as an individual, um, if you're a professional, for instance, a lawyer or a planner or an architect, you can actually help by um, bringing understanding of these coastal risks to the jobs that you're working on. 
if you're someone who has some money and you invest in businesses and own stock, uh, you can push for corporate disclosure of uh, what some of the risk of, of um, sea level rise and storms are to the physical assets of the, the companies you own stock in. Uh, and probably the you know one of the key things is is just to be articulate in uh, understanding and supporting remedies at the local and state level, and calling your congressman to say, you know, you need to do more about this, and and we we on the coast need your help to think through these problems, and we don't want to just spend a lot of money um, on our own interest. We think that we can get a better coast that is going to cost the federal government a lot less in the future um, in terms of reduced costs from storms and other impacts if we do this right. So we need your help. Yeah. Well, Jeff, uh, I'm so glad we we caught up. Um, You know, your book has got, it's just a wealth of information. I think that the current administration could pick it up and, and take that framework section uh, and just say, let's go. Let's let's just start checking this stuff off and going for it. Um, but yeah, really appreciate your time. I uh, hope people pick up pick up the book. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope you keep doing well. Well, thank you very much, Travis, and same to you. I, it's been great chatting with you. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. A special thanks to Waterloop supporters, Springpoint Partners, and the Walton Family Foundation. The Waterloop Podcast is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish way to save energy, water, and money while enjoying a powerful shower. Save 20% with promo code Waterloop at HighSierraShowerheads.com. Waterloop is also sponsored by Flume, the smart water monitor that tracks your home's water use in real time and provides data on your smartphone. Save 10% with promo code Waterloop at flumewater.com. If you like Waterloop, please subscribe to the YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media and visit waterloop.org to sign up for updates. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.